You are listening to Resurrection Indiana. To find out more about our meeting times and location, check us out on Facebook or Instagram, or visit our website at resurrectionindiana.org. In the mid-1700s, before the United States was even a nation, the English preacher George Whitfield came to America and he began holding meetings to preach the gospel, to preach Jesus to the colonists of what was then still part of England. And out of that preaching in the mid-1700s came what was eventually known as the Great Awakening. As George Whitfield preached in the southern colonies, Jonathan Edwards, who was a New England pastor, was preaching in the northern colonies, and the country, this colony, these colonies at the time, experienced a time of spiritual renewal. Countless numbers of people who actually became Christians came to know Jesus, and out of that came new churches and new ministers and and even seminaries and institutions to train them. In fact, that awakening of its day left an impact on this nation that in some ways is still felt today. There is still evidence of its impact. Sometimes we might, and evangelical Christians today sometimes ask this, what would it have been like to be part of such a great movement, this great working of God's spirit? And again, very often there are Christians today who point to events like that great awakening and long for God to be at work in our world like that again. Now, certainly, God does sometimes work in extraordinary ways, not just in this country, but all over the world as well. And we can point to historical events where that happens, and even sometimes instances in our present day where there are extraordinary things that happen. But but what does God's working in the world through his people ordinarily look like? What does it look like when it isn't extraordinary? James has been talking about enduring and persevering through trials, but now he turns his attention to faithfulness and becoming doers of God's word. What does obedience look like? What does it look like to follow Jesus? What does it mean to be faithful to his commands? Because James is convinced that if you have heard the word of God, that you will be changed by it. That you won't be just a hearer, as he puts it, but you will become a doer. In other words, he's saying very simply that because God's word makes us alive, we can't help but become doers of that word. But again, what does that look like in ordinary day-to-day living? Today, we want to talk about how that, what he describes in this passage is that it involves receiving and acting and doing. So we'll look at each of those in turn. The first few verses here, verses 19 through 21, James talks about receiving this word. There's a little bit of context here at the end of the previous section. He has talked about the progression of sin in the life of a human being and talking about that um, and talking about the consequences of that and the end result of that. But then he turns around and he says, 
But God has brought us forth by the word of truth. And the idea there is birth. That you have been birthed by the word of truth. And that's a little bit of the background for what he then says in the verses we're looking at today. That if you have been made alive, James makes clear in the first place that he is speaking to Christians here. He is speaking to people who are trusting, hoping in Jesus. And that's key because what he's saying presumes that you have faith in Jesus. Now he starts off with what it looks like and an explanation of what it looks like to be alive with a list of things to do. He says to be quick to hear, to be slow to speak, to be slow to anger. And then he goes on to draw a contrast between the things of man and, as he calls it, the things of God. And that's clear as we work backwards from verse 21. Verse 21, he says, to put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. In other words, to put away to take off what is dirty in the same way that you take off <coughs> dirty clothes after working outside on a hot day and getting covered in dirt and grime. James says, take those things off. And the epitome of what is filthy and wicked is described as anger. We're not going to go into all of that here, but of course there is a time and there are times when it is justified and even appropriate for anger to be expressed, what we might call a righteous anger. That's really less what he is getting at here. More he's simply saying failing to listen and wanting to speak is often that causes us to jump to conclusions which might be wrong and which might lead to anger. Failing to listen and being quick to speak indicate a breakdown in relationships. <clears throat> The television show Ted Lasso, which is about an English soccer team, there's an episode in which a player is ejected after responding to a heckling fan by going into the stands and punching the fan and starting a fight. And of course, he receives a red card, whatever that means, I don't follow soccer, but he gets ejected. And at the press conference after the game, the very first question that is asked by the press of an assistant coach is, you know, do you condone what he did? And initially, the assistant coach says, of course we don't condone it. What he did was awful. But then he goes on to explain, look, I get that some people think that if they buy a ticket, they've got the right to yell whatever abusive stuff they want at footballers. But they're not just footballers. They're also people. And none of us, he goes on to say, know what is going on in each other's lives. None of us know what's going on in each other's lives. What does it look like to listen? What does it look like to recognize that everyone is different? Everyone has their own story. And again, that doesn't mean that you're condoning. It doesn't mean that you're accepting of everything. Even in, even in that example, that coach was absolutely emphatic. What he did was absolutely wrong. But sometimes the best thing you can do is allow space for someone else in the midst of whatever they are facing, whatever they are going through, to be heard. 
and to be understood. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. Not only do we take off what is filthy, James says, but put on what is clean. Receive, James says, the implanted word and do so with meekness, with humility. First of all, this implanted word, it's not a word that everyone has within them. You're familiar with Disney and Jiminy Cricket's motto, let your conscience be your guide. Whatever you feel on the inside, everybody feels different things. You will not come up with universal rules if everybody just follows their own voice. Rather, James is talking about this is a word that God has given. The prophet Jeremiah maybe comes to mind here where he talks about how the law for God's people will no longer be written on tablets of stone, but it will be written on your hearts. That James is getting to the work of the Spirit. And again, he is writing to those who are trusting in Jesus, who are seeking to follow him, believe in him. And that when that is happening in your life, that the Spirit is enlightening your heart and gifting you with God's word. And then, of course, he adds that qualifier with meekness. Because we don't receive the word on our own terms. We don't trust it for our own ends. And we do need to have humility in that. Recognizing that we don't have all the answers and that we need to learn and to be taught. That we receive it as God intends, as it presents itself. Um, Donald Miller, the writer, once talked about being at a book signing um, of somebody else, of a different author. But going to a book signing and an author was talking about how he found truth in all different religions. That, you know, all religions have some bit of truth. And as he was listening, realizing that none of the religions that this person cited would actually agree with what he was saying. He wasn't receiving, he was simply cherry picking the things that he liked from each religion and choosing what he wanted to call true from each religion or philosophy, taking it out of context, using it to support really what he already wanted to believe. As Miller shared that experience with a friend of his, the friend kind of heard this idea of sort of cherry picking from different religions and finally the friend said, you know, I think I do the same thing sometimes with Jesus. See, the reality is if you are a Christian, but you are never challenged by what the Bible says to you, possibly you're not doing it right. If you feel as though the Bible always agrees with you, you may not be receiving it. You may simply be using it. Because the truth is none of us are naturally humble. We all struggle with pride. It's difficult to put ourselves under authority. But when we come to the scripture, if this is indeed God's word, we need to recognize that we don't have it all together. We need to be taught. We need to be challenged. We need to be transformed. And you need to be willing to let the word do that in your life. So we need to receive the word. But we also need to act on it, and that's what he goes into in verses 22 through 25. Having laid out what it looks like to receive, James goes on to say that, well, if you have received it, you will also do it. 
Of course, he says hearing comes first. He says five different ways in these verses, in just these few verses here, five different ways of first hearing and then doing. In verse 22, he says not just hearers, but doers. In verse 23, he says, if anyone is a hearer, but not a doer. In verse 24, he says, like a man who looks in a mirror and then goes away. He's using a metaphor there, and we'll get to that. In verse 25, he says, the one who looks into the law and then who perseveres. In verse 25, he says, being no hearer, but a doer. This idea, again and again, almost every verse in that short passage. It's important to get. Obviously, James wants us to get that. There is not a dichotomy between hearing and doing. We need both of them. And in fact, without hearing, we won't become doers. There is this similarity of looking intently in a mirror and looking into the perfect law. There are those who think James means the difference between someone who takes a quick glance versus someone who really studies. He's not really. In both cases, what he means is someone who looks hard enough to understand. The difference is that one person takes a hard look and is changed by it and is not changed by it, unchanged by it. And the other person takes a hard look and they actually become different. You know, why, why do we look in a mirror anyway? We don't look in it for no reason. We want to make sure that we look okay. And we... Maybe you want to use that knowledge for future reference. I know often, and this is kind of a silly example, but often when I'm working, whether I'm sitting at home at my desk or especially if I'm sitting out at a coffee house somewhere where I do a lot of studying and working on different things, and I will often, as I'm thinking about things, kind of run my hand through my hair, and then it just it sticks straight up. Now, when I look in a mirror and I see it sticking straight up, I kind of know, okay, I need to pat that back down before I go like walk around in public. And I kind of know then having looked into that mirror that when I'm out and I know I've been running my hand through my hair, I need before I stand up and start walking around, I probably need to push that back down. And I kind of know how to do that because I've done it in front of a mirror first. Hopefully the mirror shows me what I need to do and it changes the way I act in some way. This is a silly example, but that's James' <coughs> point. Having heard... You actually become doers. You actually become changed. James says the word, but then he shifts that mirror illustration to looking into the perfect law. Now, is there a difference? Well, not really, but the words actually tell us something. The law of God plays a role in the life of a Christian, of a follower of Jesus. If you follow Jesus, the law has a place in your life. Now, often we want to think that it doesn't, but it does. The gospel, you will hear me say often, is both bad news and good news. The bad news of the gospel is we don't live up to God's perfect standard. Well, what's his standard? Where do we get that? The standard is his law. And so that law becomes like a mirror. It becomes a means of convicting us, of showing us how far short we fall that we don't measure up, that we need a savior. This is what is happening, not just in the Old Testament, but Jesus does in the New Testament. We are familiar with the Ten Commandments. You shall not steal, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not, and so on and so forth. And Jesus comes along and says, well, you have heard, 
You shall not commit adultery, but have you ever lusted after somebody to whom you're not married? Sure, you understand that you've never stolen, but have you ever desired something that doesn't belong to you? You've never killed, but have you been angry with somebody unjustly? And Jesus makes clear that we don't keep the law. That's the bad news. But the good news, of course, is that Jesus is a substitute. Jesus is the one who comes along, and he actually does keep the law. He keeps the law perfectly in our place, and then when he goes to the cross... It's not because he deserves God's judgment, but because we do. And so often for Christians who trust in Jesus, we often say that we don't have to keep the law anymore because Jesus kept it for us. You know what? That's true. You do not have to keep the law to be right with God. Jesus has kept the law for you. Jesus has met God's standard. And yet the law still has a place. It's no longer a weight over us. It no longer condemns telling us only of our shortcomings and how we don't measure up. Instead, that law becomes a guide for us. This is the way the psalmist explains it in Psalm 119. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. If you belong to Jesus, you don't keep the law so that God will accept you. You keep the law. You pay attention to it. Because it is the good that God intends for his people who live in his kingdom. And are you able to keep it perfectly? No. But it is still a guide. My children cannot stop being loved and accepted by me. And yet, we still expect them to clean their rooms. We expect them to do chores. We expect them to help out. We expect them to respect other people. We expect them to forgive each other. We don't tell them that so that, hey, if you do these things, when you turn 18, we'll adopt you. We tell them you do these things because you are mine. You are already a child. And we tend to fall off on a couple of different sides of this. And in one case, some of us resonate with James' emphasis on doing, and you want to see people have lives that are obedient to God. But some of you are hoping that God will accept you because you've done enough. This is why, and again, you hear me say this often, I don't know how many people I've met who will say, well, of course I believe in Jesus, and that's why I try to be a good person. The problem is, some of you consequently are not sure if you have done enough. And you're just hoping that God will understand that you tried your best and, and he'll accept you anyway. You know what? Sometimes I've heard people say that, that, well, I guess when I stand before God, I believed in Jesus, and I guess I'll just have to hope that my life was good enough. You're not trusting in Jesus. You're trusting in yourself. But some of us also kind of pull back from James' teaching here because... You get that you are saved by God's grace, that it isn't about what you do. It's about what (coughs) Jesus has done, and you think that, well, I'm saved by grace. It doesn't matter what I do. I can therefore live any way I want. I don't have to prove my faith to anyone. The problem, though, is that you haven't really received the word. And again, as we read James, and James is criticized today and and has been throughout history sometimes for, for not putting forth the gospel of grace. And yet, remember what I said the first week when we started this, who does James most sound like in the Bible? He sounds a lot like Jesus. 
James is simply saying that if you've received the word of God and if you belong to him, you will begin to live a life like he expects his children to live. And if you don't, maybe what you are demonstrating is that you really don't belong to him at all. See, it's not a question of being accepted by God. It's a question of being transformed by him because you already belong. If you have received the word, you need to become a doer of that word. Okay, but that still leaves us with a question. We are to take the word to heart, to put it into practice. But what kind of things does James have in mind? This is the last couple of verses here. Verses 26 and 27. Now, of course, I'm sure there's a lot more that could be said by this, and James is going to tell us more as well, but in these couple of verses, he just throws out a few things. He talks about controlling the tongue. He says this is another aspect of being a hearer but not a doer. If you claim to be religious, if you claim to follow Jesus, but you don't demonstrate the word in the way that you speak, you are deceiving yourselves, deceiving yourself that we really have heard. Now, it seems strong to say that a person's religion, that their faith is worthless because they don't control their tongue. But Jesus spoke about this as well. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And because James is concerned with the heart and what comes out of it, it's not surprising that he mentions the tongue here. But then he lists a couple things that are the essence, he says, of pure religion. One of those is caring for those in need. He says, visiting orphans and widows in their affliction. In other words, what I just said, caring for those who are in need. And secondly, he says that you are to be committed to holiness. Now, being holy means to be set apart to be set apart from the world, to be different from the world. Now, James is certainly not being exhaustive here. There are all sorts of other things that we ought to be doing as well, but he chooses those particular things for a reason. You know, there is often an emphasis among Christians on being more committed to Jesus. We put it in different ways. We talk maybe about being sold out for Jesus, making a difference for Jesus, becoming radical, pursuing an extraordinary life. And you know what? In a positive way, that really has been at times a corrective for an American church that tends to be comfortable and complacent. But there's also some legitimate pushback against that emphasis because the reality is that most of us don't have extraordinary lives. Most of us are pretty ordinary. And most of our lives are taken up with ordinary things. We go to work, we have houses that need to be taken care of, we have bills to pay, we have responsibilities to keep. You know what the word schlep means? Schlep is a Yiddish word that means a slow, arduous, and sometimes tedious journey. A slow, arduous, and sometimes tedious journey. In other words, it means less than ordinary. Useless in the eyes of the world. 
I once read an article that described living the Christian life as a schlep. Most of life is lived in the schlep. And you know what? That's exactly where you are called to be faithful. See, not everyone is called to go to the other side of the world to preach the gospel. Although great if you are, and some people are. But some of you feel that the real work of God's kingdom is about doing big things, but you're not willing to do the ordinary things. Sometimes there are people who want to stand in front of crowds and preach the gospel to all nations, but they don't want to visit the widow down the street or volunteer in the nursery. You don't have to do that here. We don't have a nursery. (laughs) And there are others of you who sometimes feel like you are second-rate Christians because you're not making a difference. Because you're not doing something great for God. But you shouldn't. Your job is in the ordinary things. Your job is to be faithful to the things that God has put in front of you right now right here. You are called to be faithful where you are. On the other hand, remember, you're not off the hook. The reason that you don't have to go around the world to preach the gospel is because, you know what, you have neighbors right here who don't know Jesus. Right here in this community, we have widows, we have children without fathers or mothers. You need to serve where you are. We need to become doers of the ordinary. And so James is telling us that the word, if you belong to Jesus, the word makes you alive, and therefore you cannot help but become a doer. In fact, you must become a doer of the word. Would it be wonderful to be a part of a movement of God's spirit like the Great Awakening might have been? (coughs) Maybe. But I'm also reminded of a small church that exists in England today where some of the people explain to a new pastor how their grandparents and their great-grandparents over a hundred years earlier had prayed that God would establish a church in their community. And those grandparents and great-grandparents, they never saw it. But they prayed, they worked at being faithful where God in his providence, in God's will, had placed them. And today, there is a church in which the gospel of Jesus is proclaimed and the ministry of God's word goes on to the people of that community. We need to become doers. And most often... We will be doers of the ordinary. Let me pray for us.